Well, we are coming to the very end of Genesis today. You're saying, oh, it's a red letter day for us. First of all, you got to remember there's 50 chapters, you know? Uh, so it takes a while uh, to get through the 50 chapters, a little bit more than 50 weeks, right? So it's taken us a, a while. And so we're at the end, and I can't think, what, what a great day for us to talk about what's at the end of uh, the book of Genesis, okay? In, in, in a way, as we have said, the, the story ends, in, in a way, at the end of chapter 49, Jacob dies, you know, it's the end of the end of the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob story. Jacob dies. Then in chapter fifty, uh, we have the funeral of uh, Jacob. The the uh, uh, what happens, you know, at the very end of his life. We talked about that the last time, and now we ha- we come to the part of Genesis uh, chapter fifty. What happens after Jacob is dead and buried? Uh, And this is a very important uh, passage for us to understand not only what's going on with Jacob and his brothers, but it tells us more than anything else. It tells us a lot about God, and it tells us a lot about the message of the Bible. How's that for uh, something big happening at the end of Genesis? Well, you know the Joseph story, right? We're not going to go over that. We've gone over that, right? Uh, Joseph and his brothers, and uh, Joseph ends up in Egypt, and turns out it looked really bad, but he ends up saving the day. His brothers show up because the famine is also in Canaan. Uh, uh, Joseph recognizes his brothers. His brothers don't recognize him. Uh, And he sends them through a number of, we could call them little tests, uh, you know, to see uh, what they're really made of and so on and so forth. And then uh, he reveals himself to them. Uh, what ends up happening is the whole family is reunited in, in Egypt. Jacob has the greatest years of his life being with all of his children, his grandchildren. Uh, and he uh, dies uh, there in Egypt uh, uh, with all of his family. And he gives very specific burial instructions to his sons, and they honor him by keeping those instructions exactly as he has asked. Uh, and all of Egypt mourns for him, his family mourns for him. He's, you know, it really is a marvelous um, a moment, actually. But now we have, we might call it the rest of the story, right? What happens next? All right, so we're not quite done, Joseph and his brothers, right? So in verse uh, 15 of chapter 50, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died, saying... Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. 
for I am uh, for am I in God's place? And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve uh, many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and for your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And I'll read the rest of it also. And Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons. Also the sons of Michar, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. They're basically old men now, you know. I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised an oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in, in Egypt. So what's happening now, Joseph or uh, Jacob is uh, uh, dead, and now the brothers wonder, because this is the most natural thing to think. It's the most natural thing to wonder, right? Now that our father is dead, you know, uh, is Joseph now going to get us back for what we did? They're still bearing this thing. It's still gnawing at them, you know? Uh, is Joseph now going to get revenge? Because now our father is dead. Nothing's holding him back, uh, you know, any, any, anymore. You know, uh, there's a lot of interesting things about that, about that statement. Uh, we, don't, we don't have time to go into all of them. But, you know, if you read uh, the uh, rabbinic commentary on this, there's a whole big thing about why did the brothers think that, what motive, what were they, what is their perception that they have of Joseph right now that uh, he might do us wrong? Uh, and so there's all kinds of stories about something that Joseph has done to give them the impression. So one is, is that Joseph stopped eating with his brothers. Uh, uh, another one is, is that on their way, this is a good one, on their way back from burying him in Canaan, they stopped by the pit, <laughs> you know, where uh, Joseph uh, was uh, thrown into, you know, and it brought back all these memories, right, you know? Uh, and so what the rabbis then say is, well, the reason, first of all, the reason that if he stopped eating with them, the reason he stopped eating with them is because he didn't want the Egyptians to think that they were like uh, colluding against the Egyptians. Uh, and, you know, so he had a good reason. And the stopping at the pit was to give thanks to God that he was alive. And so their, their point is this great little lesson that uh, be careful about perceptions, Right. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, unfortunately, the text doesn't give us any of that, doesn't even uh, allude to that, but, but they're wondering, and, and I would suggest that the reason they're wondering this is because that's what they would be doing, right? That's what they would be doing, uh, you, you know? It's like, uh, you know that um, the Gary Chapman book about love languages? Right? You know, you all know that book, right? So, you know, uh, the idea there is, is you have to learn your partner's love language because if you just know your own and you try to express love in the, in the way that you receive it, it might not be in the way that they get it, right? And so it's kind of like the way we live life. Like, I'm going to assume that you're going to respond to something the way I would, 
right? And that gets us into all kinds of trouble, right? Uh, and so the brothers are thinking very much like most people, that now's an opportunity to get revenge uh, or to get back at him. Or as sometimes we refer to it uh, uh, today, uh, is to get a justice, right? Uh, because it's not fair. Uh, and so if I was Joseph, that's what I would be doing. And certainly Joseph does not uh, react that way because Joseph is a godly man. And even though the Torah had not yet been given uh, to Moses on the mountain, we know from the story of Abraham, right, that uh, the laws, the statutes, uh, the commandments of the Torah uh, were, were not in a written form, but to walk in the way of the Lord was to live it out, live the Torah way of life, even in Genesis, even among, you know, Abraham, Isaac, uh, and uh, Jacob. And so we're familiar with uh, this passage in Leviticus in chapter 19, uh, in verse 18. What's interesting about it is we know one part of it because it's one of the most famous passages in Scripture. Uh, not only did Yeshua quote it, but so did Hillel and Rabbi Akiva, and, uh, talking about it as the greatest command, and, and that is, of course, love your neighbor as yourself, right? But if you read the whole verse, it really is uh, quite radical. It's really a radical uh, verse, okay? And so what does it say? You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the passage isn't simply saying, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, uh, like here's, uh, here's Will and Donna. Uh, that is, you know, oh, okay, I'll love them. That's great. They're great people, wonderful people. I'm going to love them. I'll, you know, I'll love Will and Donna as I love myself. There you go. You know, uh, or Barbara, right? Oh, it's, it's easy you know, or uh, Henry, or, or anyone, anyone here. It's easy to love your neighbor as yourself. But it's saying much more than that. It's really, this is where the, when Yeshua talks about loving your enemy, it comes from this verse. When Yeshua talks about turning the other cheek, and all of that in the Sermon on the Mount, it's coming out of this. This is a radical statement. It says, don't get revenge, love them. It doesn't just say, don't get revenge, hate him in your heart, stay away from him, don't have a conversation because something bad might happen, you know? Uh, but it says, love him, be proactive, right? And of course, Yeshua gave a great story uh, about that. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Good Samaritan. You know, Good Samaritan is like, I, I, well, I'm afraid to say any kind of name anymore, but... Uh, but it's like saying the good evil person or the good bad person or the, 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 the good uh, uh, whatever uh, group of people we're afraid of or we view as a negative and a threat, right? Uh, the good Samaritan, even the title of that is radical, right? And you know the story of the good Samaritan. It was the most unlikely of persons, 
who was helpful to the person on the side of the road. That's the point of the story. Not simply that the person helped, but it was the most unlikely person uh, uh, to, to help. It's radical, radical love. And that is what Joseph is demonstrating here uh, uh, for us, or what he's going to demonstrate, right? So uh, the, uh, the brothers assume that Joseph is going to respond like, an, like this is how anybody would respond. It's going to get back at us, right? Because that's, that's what we deserve. Wow, okay? All right, so then they concoct a story. It just tells you where their hearts are at. They basically make up a story uh, to tell Joseph uh, so that, uh, you know, to, to uh, cover themselves and to save their skins. And so they tell Joseph, you know, before our father died, he said to forgive us. Okay? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like what they're, what, 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 that's what they, what they say. And it's even interesting the way that they, the way that they say it. First they say, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin. And then just to make sure, to make the, the point, like to put the cherry on top, he says, it, they say, and now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father, right? Forget about the fact that we're brothers, right? The servants of the God of your father. Like for, for our father's sake, you know, that we're servants of the God of your father. So, you know, forgive us, right? They're scared to death, uh, these guys. Uh, right here. And then, of course, Joseph wept when, he, when they spoke to him. He wept. We really see the heart of Joseph. Joseph really had the heart of God in an unvarnished way, you know, at a moment where he could have done anything and justified it. This is the judgment from God. He could have done anything. And so here we see the unvarnished Joseph for who he really, really is here. And so he says, do not be afraid. That's where he starts. Don't be afraid, for am I in God's place? Anything that, that is going to happen to you is going to come from God and not from me. And what he is demonstrating is that passage in Leviticus chapter 19. I'm not going to bear a grudge. I am not going to seek revenge. I'm basically letting you off the hook. He says, and as for you, you meant evil against me. See, he tells them the truth. He doesn't uh, like say, oh, no problem. You know, he doesn't say, uh, oh, I know you really didn't mean it. He says, you really meant it. So he really confronts them uh, with, uh, with the truth. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people uh, alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. He repeats it. I will provide for you and your little one. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So first thing we want to get here is he loves them. He's not just saying, I won't hold it against you. He's, he comforts them. He speaks kindly to them. He says, I'm going to take care of you and your families. He is proactively loving them. What a great lesson for us, uh, indeed, to learn about our own personal relationships. Uh, and, you know, it's no small thing that this is talking about relatives, right? Because sometimes the most difficult time we have is with relatives. 
Maybe not brothers, might be sisters, might be children, might be parents, or others, you know, or, or other, other, other people, right? So that's just, that's one little lesson that, that we learn here. The other thing that he is, um, he is saying here, this issue uh, about God meant it for good. Now, we read that all the time, and we can sermonize on that uh, plenty, but the real question is, how do you do that? You know, uh, how, do you, how do you do that? How, when something happens, uh, not necessarily even just somebody personally came against me, but bad news comes, or disappointment comes, or, you know, the stuff of life happens, right? And we have to ask ourselves, well, how do, I love J- Joseph's attitude, and I really want to get there, you know? Uh, you know, for all, as I'm looking around this room, I think all of us would say, yeah, that's right. We wouldn't argue with the text, you know. Uh, but the question is, how do, I, how do I get there? And getting there is, is what it means as we uh, walk uh, with the Lord and as we have our eyes focused on him. We know there's a number of passages, and I'm just going to read uh, one or five. No, I'm not going to read five. Okay, in Proverbs uh, 16, in verse 9, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Right, that's something for us to remember. So it's important for us to simply remember that these, these are truths. The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. We make plans, what do they say, God laughs or something like that. But we make all kinds of plans, but it is the Lord who is directing our steps, okay? That's in Proverbs 16, uh, you know, in verse uh, verse 9. And then also uh, in uh, uh, verse uh, 21 of Proverbs 19, many are the plans in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord, but the counsel of the Lord, it will stand. In other words, nothing is going to thwart what God is doing. And what I would suggest, he uses us in varieties of ways to advance his plan in all kinds of ways. And I've said this before, and I trust that we get it. And that is, I know this is a hard truth to get, but God's entire plan for the world in sending Yeshua is not so that I am happy. All right? It's not so that I'm happy or even that I have, a, a, you know, an easygoing life. And that is very hard for us to accept. We might say, oh, yes, amen, of course. But we have a hard time accepting that. The real truth is, and it's part of the good news, that Yeshua came into the world to die for our sins and to be raised from the dead so that we could participate in the great work that God is doing in this world. And that means that he uses us in varieties of ways. And that when things happen to us, it is not necessarily about us. Why did this happen to me? That's the wrong question. It's how do I respond to this that advances the cause of Messiah? That is really the right, that is the right question. And when we have our eyes fixed on him, 
when we recognize that we cannot understand completely the plans of God, but we keep our eyes focused on Him and in His Word and in His ways and in prayer, that is the way that we can come to terms with whatever goes on in our lives. And so, you know, we get this news or this thing happens. Okay, I can stay above the fray. I can keep my eyes fixed on God, fixed on Yeshua, and know that He is at work. That is trusting a God. That is, indeed, you know, crying out uh, 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 to God. One of the greatest examples of this in the Bible has to do with uh, the role of uh, Israel in the good news. In Romans chapter 11, transgression has come to Israel for the salvation of the Gentiles, right? Uh, So that means that, wow, somehow in the thinking of God, the rejection of Yeshua by Israel is part of his plan. How does that work? Well, you know what happens at the end of Romans 11. Paul says, I don't know. Who can understand the counsel of God? Who can understand the ways of God? You know, I can just see what this. I don't know. But this is the plan of, of God. I don't quite understand it in the very same way. How does it happen that I get this, you know, illness or this happens to my child? Uh, why is this happening? Why won't God answer my prayer of healing or, or my child or my parent or my brother or my sister? Why? Why won't he do that? We don't know. But the focus is God is at work. God is at work. And Joseph understood that. Uh, you know, just uh, yesterday, I was talking to a lady that nobody knows here. She's not part of our congregation, uh, who is very ill, very ill on like from A to Z. What do you say to somebody like that? What do you, you know, what, what do you say? It's like, well, I, you know, tomorrow's another day or I uh, read your Bible more. Or, no, what I prayed and what I told this lady was, you know, your hope is not in your body. Your hope is not in uh, wellness. Your hope is in the resurrection, the real resurrection that's coming. Your hope is in Yeshua. And you know, when you embrace the Messiah into your life, you dwell in him. I have been crucified. I'm dead, right? I have been crucified with Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who offered himself up for me. And so therefore, no matter what the situation is, when when we are focused on Yeshua, he never changes. We are in him. Our destiny is resurrection. Our destiny is Life is hope in him. Now, did Joseph have all of that information? Probably not. But his hope was in God. He understood that everything happened had something to do with God. Now, Joseph was fortunate and blessed to be able to see the end of the story. But that does not always happen, you know, uh, as in, uh, you know, many people's lives. In, in uh, the uh, book of Romans, In the 8th chapter, we read this for in the 18th verse. For I consider, you know, when he says I consider, it means I think about. I, uh, you know, I ruminate over and think about and understand. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. He says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And then he says, Not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for adoption as sons for the redemption of our body. We groan. Do you know that as a believer, as a Messiah follower, it is not necessary to put on happy face and say, praise the Lord, Uh, I enjoy every bit of my lousy life uh, and the suffering that I'm enduring. Amen. Pour it on. Give me more. No, that is not uh, how it's supposed to be. We face realities. We can be sad when things are sad, you know? Uh, we can uh, be uh, anxious and, 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 and suffer and groan and groan. That is part of humanity. Paul never says here, don't groan, even though, you know, be anxious for nothing. He says be anxious for nothing, but he doesn't say groan, don't groan, okay? Oy vey, that's where we get it from. Okay, oi, right? Uh, so now there's something very interesting about this issue of groaning, okay? Uh, because when the passage continues, he's going to say, For in hope we have been saved, in hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. Our hope is in the resurrection. Our hope is in the the future that God has for us. We do not hope in this life only. That's from another passage we don't have time to go to, right? Our hope is not in this life only, but in, in Yeshua. And that gives us, you might say, so but how does that help me now? It gives us a quality of living, whatever life we have. It gives us a superior quality of life in whatever we're going through, knowing that at the end of the book, as my good friend Barry Budoff, who died at a young age, said, you know, I read the end of the book, and at the end, I don't want to be a spoiler, but at the end, we win. You know, I'll never forget when he said that. And, uh, and that is absolutely true. So we end up with a much better quality of life. Did Joseph enjoy those sufferings? I don't think so, Okay. Uh, but the quality of life is what it was about. Then it says in verse 26, And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. There is no if in there. It does not say if we don't know how to pray as we should. It says we, in the same way, we do not know how to pray as we should. And isn't that such a real self-revelation from Paul? I don't know how to pray. Given things the way they are, I don't know how to pray. You ever come to that? I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. Okay. Sometimes we view that as the groanings is like a spiritual language or, uh, you know, or groaning is uh, 
uh, you know, some kind of like in some kind of deep, uh, mysterious thing that's going on. I'm going to suggest that he's using the word groaning because he's already used the word groaning. And that the groaning, too deep for words, is all coming from, as we, if you're Jewish, you know, coming from my kishkis, coming from the insides of me, I have the assurance of God knows my heart. God knows my groanings. God knows what, the, even if I can't articulate how I feel or what I pray, he knows. And you see, the Ruach is interceding and, and God knows the inner, inner desires and yearnings and hurts. And we can have the assurance of knowing that and of intimacy with God and that he will minister to our heart because he knows the groanings. And that's what Paul is saying here. That's what he's saying here. That God knows and that you can get through the sufferings of this present life because he's right there with you. Yeshua is our advocate. The Ruach intercedes. We are never alone in our sufferings in this life. One thing is to acknowledge there is suffering in this life. We need to get it. Yes, indeed. Now, in this life, though, what is it that um, really demonstrates the fact that I'm trusting God in this way? What really demonstrates in this life? Yes, we're looking forward to the resurrection and all that, but what does Joseph do that demonstrates this way of life? What does he do? He forgives his brothers. He forgives his brothers, okay? Again, it's not just, all right, listen, you stay over there in Goshen, at the, the, that end of Goshen, I'll stay over here on this end of Goshen, we'll be all right. I'm not going to do anything to you. No. We cannot control the circumstances, but we can control our reaction. Forgiveness is one of the great or the great form of testimony of the reality of God. Joseph forgives his brothers and exemplifies love your neighbor. You know, and, uh, and how can he do this? He can do it because his focus is on the Lord. We can do it because God dwells in us. His word is on our heart. When we embrace Yeshua, the Lord lives within us. And, and he begins to live out our lives supernaturally. I'm crucified, remember. I'm dead. Yet I live because he lives in me. And so we can forgive like he forgave. And so, so how, again, how do I do it? Well, uh, you know, um, uh, yesterday I, I had another conversation with somebody. This is really kind of interesting. And they uh, told me that they often have terrible, terrible dreams. And when I wake up from the dreams, they like hate themselves. And why did I dream that? Maybe I'm not a believer. Maybe I don't know the Lord. And I said, here's the thing. When you wake up from your dream, what you're doing is you're crying out to yourself. You're crying out to yourself looking for solace or peace, you're crying out in the wrong direction, right? Run to God. Run to God. Cry out to God. Uh, you know, I'm going through a, a Sam Nadler's a Messianic Discipleship book, that Maroon book that some of you have gone through. So he has a great line in it. Uh, he says, God can take it. 
<laughs> you know, it's great. God can take it. Cry out to God. When we cry out to God, we're running to him. And read all those lament psalms uh, in the Bible. These are godly men who are crying out to God and saying, How long, O Lord? That's not a lack of faith or unbelief. They're running to the one who they know loves them like a child to a father. How long, O Lord? I don't understand. You can cry out to God. He can take it. Okay? Uh, and he will give you comfort and peace. And you know, it's very interesting. I don't even want to look. In Psalm 42, in Psalm 42, which is, I, I wrote in my Bible, depression. At the t- I have a little heading space there. Uh, Psalm 42. He says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? That's when he goes on to say, My tears have been my couch night and day. Oh, my soul, why am I in despair? He's talking to himself when he says it. Why am I depressed? That's what he's saying to himself. But what does he cry out to God? I need more of you, God. I need more of you. And so don't ever be afraid to cry out to God and just say, I don't get it, Lord. You gotta, you, uh, I don't get it. I'm upset. I need more of you. I, I don't get it. And, uh, and so, you know, Joseph is a great testimony uh, of someone who has that kind of relationship, uh, that kind of relationship with God. And so at the end of the day, why do we have this here at the end of the book? We have it here at the end of the book because the way Joseph is acting toward his brothers is about God. It's about God. It's about the whole book of Genesis, before and what comes after. And that jo- through Joseph, we're learning about uh, the unconditional love of God. Think about it. God did not hate Adam and Eve, right? He took them out of the garden, but... He didn't do away with them. He didn't say, you're, you're cut off uh, forever. No, no. Their sin had ramifications, but God did not stop loving them. Or Cain, for that matter. Or Noah. Or Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Tamar. You name it, right? Throughout the entire book of Genesis, it's about God. It's not about the characters themselves. It's about God interacting with humanity. And so what we learn at the end of Genesis is that a lot of bad stuff happens in Genesis, but that through it all, God is moving history forward. God is moving history forward through the trials and tribulations. And he also says it here, not as a capstone on how we understand God in Breshit in Genesis, but the next thing that we're going to read is 400 years of slavery. And that God has still not done away with these people. He has not forsaken them, right? And somehow, you know, in year 242 of the 400 years of slavery, somehow God is still at work. We don't see it. We don't understand it. But God is at work. And so this is really the story of the Bible. Think about the coming of Yeshua again. What people meant for evil, God meant for good, and historically on the ground, looking at that horizontally, it was a tragedy. The life of Yeshua is a tragedy. But from the point of view of God, it's everything. It's all about love. And so 
God desires in these narratives to read it about it's a, the story of God and, and how we can now relate to him, you know, and love him. And when we understand it that way, that's how we can live as Joseph lived. And the very last part uh, of uh, Genesis in chapter 50, it's the death of Joseph, Right? Uh, and so we see that Joseph lives like over 50 more years, by the way, after Jacob dies. You know, he didn't die the next day because it's written right after it, okay? It's 50 years later, okay? Uh, and uh, now he's an old man and he talks to his brothers. And we see, one thing we see is that, you know, he speaks very well to them. Uh, but he says, surely God will take care of you. See, this issue of you meant what you meant for evil, God meant for good, is preparing them and us for this slavery about to come. God will take care of you, and he will bring you up from this land to the land which he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he's saying to them, not to just them, but to their, their descendants, we will live through this, and God will take us home. And it's interesting, by the way, this is the first time we read Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, Jacob says Abraham and Isaac in a variety of ways. But this is the first time we read Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the oath that God promised to them of the land. And again, it's a reminder of, of so much of what Genesis is about. It's about the redemption. It's about the unconditional love of God, the forgiveness of God, and the promise of this place. And that's how the book of Genesis ends. And it's just very interesting that the next place that you read about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is at the very end of Exodus chapter 2, where it says, Now God heard the groanings and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so very interesting. Uh, so the book of Genesis ends on this issue of covenant. Uh, and so today, for all of us, if we are here and we are suffering through something, through disappointment, through worry, uh, through issues of family members or whatever it is, remember that our hope is indeed in the Lord, just as it was Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, none of them saw the day of great peace in the land, uh, you know, and great prosperity, but it was a promise that God made to them. And they died with that hope and with that promise. And we have that hope and that promise uh, today. And so may we find peace and comfort. May we realize that the hand of God is on our lives. May we be proactive to forgive and live godly as we walk through this life. And may we indeed have the quality of life, regardless of our circumstances, the, the good quality of life of trusting in the Lord and that he is indeed the, our finish line. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, we uh, do thank you for this great ending to Breshit, to the book of Genesis. Lord, uh, I pray, God, uh, that we would be encouraged. And as we think about Abraham and Sarah, think about Noah, Adam and Eve, we think about Isaac, Tamar, Dina, Jacob, Reuben, Judah, 
Lord, thank you, God, that in the great difficulties of all these lives, you were using these people to further your destiny for mankind. Thank you, Lord, and that in, uh, you know, in that, Lord, uh, they had a relationship with you, uh, Lord, but that the story wasn't about them. And so, Lord, may we realize that it's still true to this day. The story is not about me. The story is about you and this world. And thank you, Lord, that you have allowed me and you have allowed us as a community, certainly, Lord, to participate in what you're doing. Whatever is going on in our lives, Lord, may we respond in a way that furthers the cause of Yeshua. And we pray in Messiah's name.